The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. Welcome to Better Gamers Anonymous, program dedicated to tabletop role-playing games and mostly related material, we hope, <laughs> presentation of Prismatic Tsunami. Thank you for being here. My name is Eric. I'm Rich. I'm Joe. I'm Alicia. And I am the kid. And this is episode number 247 of our show. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Richard, I couldn't hear you a little while there. What? Yeah, you're very you, quiet. You lost Rich? a little volume. Oh, <clears throat> yeah, you're a lot quieter. lost a lot of volume. Mm-hmm. Rich, come Beat back. It. Beat it. I cannot find out why it's doing that. <laughs> it's Good about God. to get sandy. <laughs> fix it in post. Yeah, right. I'll fix it in post. <laughs> or or I'll leave all this in here either way. Whichever's easier, and I'm it depends how lazy I am that day. <laughs> Outtakes are fun. It's fine. Are you though? Are you really? <laughs> no, well, I'm oh Vanessa. I lied to everybody earlier. <laughs> I am a little punch drunk. I'm hoping this uh, doesn't spread too badly, but it is nice to see you all. Thank you so much for being here. We're going to have fun. Oh, we're already having fun. That's we. You're right. You don't need me, obviously. Let's go go, go about your business. <laughs> hey, we're nine minutes into the recording and we got the intro done. We're doing good. <laughs> I am beclipped. Yes. Role play amongst yourselves. Uh, so <laughs> where have I heard that before? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really want to talk about some recent stuff that's been happening in some of our games. So that is really going to be kind of the focus of the conversation today. And I, I'm I'm so looking forward to getting into this. But I've been running uh, uh, too many games lately, but um, two different two different games lately. So it's like it's it's getting to be a, a challenge keeping track of it all. But my um, my my two big groups, my my Sunday group, which involves um, Richard and uh, Jason and uh, Vanessa and the kid and um, Julie, and uh, the Monday group, which involves Joe and Alicia, Jonica and Nira. Do I have all that straight? Mostly, yes. Sounded okay. right for me. And these two games have been such a blast lately that occasionally I'll have a session or two that really challenges my expectations and kind of throws everything into a very sharp relief. And uh, that's that's what we're going to discuss here because both of the games did that to me in different ways in the past couple of weeks. And uh, the, 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 the biggest challenge I deal with here is that there's a lot of material, even even in the, the, the Sunday game, which is a horror game. There's horror a lot of adjacent. Like, horror adjacent, yeah. There, there's a lot of material that I add to even a game where I'm using published adventures now because the idea on that one was, hey, I'm, you know, Monday night I'm, I'm working on a campaign that I'm, I'm fleshing out this world and this plot and I have all this stuff going on. Sunday, I'm going to be doing that, but we've gotten out of one game. Let's start something different. I needed some time, so I want to run some just adventures. I found some stuff I liked. Just kind of rushed, run through that and have some fun. Keep it casual. Fly casual. Uh, didn't exactly go ex- go the way I expected. Uh <laughs> So the one thing um, that probably stuck out to me with the Monday game, which has been it. I mean, we've spent a chunk of it in another kind of like other planar kind of travel a little bit. Anyway, the the characters have been in kind of a fey realm and have been working their way back home. And in that process, we came to a point where they had to um, they they knew they they were heading for something called the boundary and they were going to move through the boundary and make their way, you know, crossing through the boundary, make their way to their their home realm, uh, you know, presumably the prime material plane. The I haven't really kind of like hammered down the cosmology of the setting because I only need to kind of hammer out the parts that I'm using or that are relevant to the backstory of the campaign as it develops. So, you know, a lot of times I'll add things as we go. 
In this case, that also meant the opportunity to add worlds and realms. The boundary was the thing that kind of I, I was beating my head against for a few weeks trying to decide what direction I wanted to jump on this. And I, I'm having a lot of fun trying to do stuff that I just haven't done before or just haven't seen before. And so I came up with this idea that the boundary, instead of being a place that you like moved through, like you went into this place and, you know, walked this landscape and came out the other end, however, however that worked, was instead a a, 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 co- a coexistent kind of um, plane inside the edges of other realms. So to reach your world, you had to pass through the edges of other worlds. Now, what that looks like, you know, philosophically speaking, can be anything, obviously. It's, it's a question of, of getting you guys into and then out of these different realms and whatever scenario drives story while giving me a chance to add important plot elements into the background. In this case, you go to another realm, you find out that the meteor that fell at the beginning of the game, because everybody knows I like throwing meteors around at the beginning of games, um, the, the, the comet that fell at the beginning of the game was like in other worlds as well, you know, and you'd already figured that out about the, the Fey realm, and now you found out in another realm that it is. So there's that continuity that is important to the, the overall campaign. It will become very important, say, in Act 3. But no, I don't think it'll ever come <laughs> up again. No, you could be right. You could be right. Chekhov's meteor. <laughs> it was really the, just a high-level wizard playing around with meteor storm. R- right, on a very, very large scale. So, Generate 1d20 plus 20 meteors, and each one falls in a different world. Level 20 Ancient Dragon casts Meteor Storm. The end of Act 3, you find out that you're all just pieces of a kid's playset. Ah, hang on. I, I did that game down. already. I, I know. Oh, I yeah. figured it was just someone wakes <laughs> up and it was a dream all along. Oh, the uh, new heart ending? <laughs> oh, no. Wait, wait, Are we all going to wind up being toys in that creepy little girl's <laughs> barrow hole in the middle of that island? Dude, I really do need to be taking notes. <laughs> Don't worry. It's being recorded Stop for posterity. Stop giving him ideas. Good call. It's true. No, never stop giving me ideas. Right. That's when the fun really starts, right. <laughs> is when you give me ideas. It's my favorite thing to do. So I I had this idea, and it was like I wanted to make sure that it wasn't as simple as you you walk into another realm, you find a doorway to get out. Yeah, because that, that's the, uh, the next step is, how do we get from point A to point B to point Z, et cetera, et cetera. So let's explore a nuance of character that didn't necessarily have any statistical foundation. That was, and, and I, I kind of got the idea from a um, adventure. I think it was a, a second edition Planescape adventure where you are traveling through like one of the upper planes, like Elysium or something. And the path to get to your destination was the road that's paved with good intentions. So you couldn't actually reach the places you were going. You would just kind of spin your wheels until you did good things to accomplish it. And so they were, the plane always gave you opportunities Wait, doesn't, to do good things. Doesn't that road <laughs> lead to hell? Yeah, <laughs> I, I tried to tell them that when they you know gave us the adventure. Like, huh. <laughs> somehow my players were nervous. I, don't, I never figured out what was going on. <laughs> but, and maybe it's the way I phrased it. I don't know. So I, I thought, okay, so let's do a thing where the player characters, the characters are advised that in order to travel from one realm to the next or to, 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 to remain within the boundary and not get sucked into these other worlds completely, which, as you guys can see in the first one, would kind of suck. Um, <laughs> you, you have to forge a key that can be used to unlock that door, basically, to progress. And this key had to be a construct within yourself, something in your own mind, your own heart that represented 
some sort of growth or change. You had to change the landscape within in order to change the landscape without. So you, it was important that your characters develop an ideal, you know, perhaps play off of a flaw in the game that would provide momentum in terms of characters. So that the, then, then it's all played out, the behaviors, right? So we see how the characters act in the scenario to determine whether or not they are achieving this goal. So you have to set yourself some sort of goal and this isn't easy. I mean, it wasn't, and I didn't expect it to. I, I threw it out there and kind of watched. I expected like Nira to glom onto it quickly, and she's like the one person who hasn't picked anything. Right. I expected Joe to have the worst trouble trouble coming up with something, and he had the instant reaction of what it was going to be. That was so, surprising for me because right when the idea popped into my head, I knew it was the right answer. But going into it, we realized that we kind of had to come up with these ideas. I was like, oh, this is going to be hard. I'm not going to, it's going to be very hard for this character. And then instantly there it was. And, and it was good. And really good. Oh, don't you love when that happens? Yeah. Oh, it was fantastic. Cause I was just, <laughs> I was sitting here shocked at my own character. Cause uh, she's a, it's Venkaran. She's a half elf warlock, but she doesn't know her patron. This magic and this entity just started kind of coming to her and has pulled her out of her normal life and she's been trying to figure out what's going on and a few sessions ago finally figured out who it was and that it's actually an evil deity so she's been a little bit rebelling against this and trying to figure out what it all means and why she was the one chosen so right when it was this part came where we had to forge these keys instantly i knew i need to gain as much power as i can so i can overthrow this deity <laughs> Beautiful. I need to gain power from him so I can stop him. And, or lock overthrowing their own patron. That's awesome. I, yeah. And I think we talked about a little bit on a previous episode about the situation with the... We talked about Vincarn. the smoke monster scene. Right. With Vincarn having to come to terms with the fact that she didn't approve of her patron's expectations and that she wasn't going to be that person. She wasn't going to serve this dark purpose. But the actual instinct of, I need to do what I can to stop it. Yeah. To, to stop him. You know, that was powerful. I thought that was very, very cool. Um, I like the way you phrased it, though, too, because like uh, Warlocks, I, I think I, I kind of offhand mentioned this and everybody's going to have a different take on it because Warlock is kind of a weird class in right. a lot of ways. <laughs> in, in D&D, it is kind of the it, it, it's kind of the most versatile in construction I think I've ever seen, because as written in the book, it doesn't look like it. Its powers are relatively restricted in scope, you know, you get a few things, although there's a lot of choices, but the nature of their magic, the fact that they don't serve a God, so they're not, it's not worship. The fact that they, they learn their magic from a teacher, but they don't necessarily, it's not like a, a, a mortal teacher, it's some being. And then the rest is open, means that there's a lot of variations you can kind of play with in that and fit the scope of the character. And we've, you know, we've explored that a lot already in our group with the different characters I've seen. Yeah. I've, we've actually seen quite a few warlocks at our table, and that was kind of surprising to me until I realized just how different they were one from the other. Because a lot of times it's tough to write up a rogue and not make it feel like other rogues, and uh, you know, or even a wizard and not make it feel like other wizards. Warlock, that, that's not tough at all. And that surprised me because it's like you got this option, this option, or this option, and you got this option, this option, but it's the combinations and the interpretations that make it good. I've been having a lot of fun with this because this is actually my first warlock I've played. And seeing how much 
freedom there is in their story has been really interesting to play with. Well, I'm in a position to compare, say, Vincaran with Zed, with Rich's warlock from the, the Zeitgeist. Game. Right. The Celestial. Who, yeah. Who, who had a Celestial patron. Yeah. With a Tome. And, and again, he uh, he came to me with a kind of open, open-ended, sort of like, just like you did. I, I don't necessarily know who my patron is. This is just what I know. You know, it wasn't that his character didn't necessarily know. It was like Rich didn't, didn't decide, so it's kind of up to me. My character, that's part of my character's flaw, was that he didn't care. He just wanted to learn right. magic from any source, and he found a source. And as long as he got magic, he was fine. He didn't care what he signed. And compared to that to my Hexblade that I played in Nero's game, a very different feeling character in almost every way, same basic structure. And I, I really, really enjoy that um, that that dynamic a lot. Uh, the neat thing about that, too, is the thing I was going to say is kind of in common and, and harkens back to what you said, though, is that I think that of all the uh, spellcaster type classes, the warlock definitely talk, speaks to me of somebody who at their core craves power in some fashion. You know, that somebody that wants to be greater, wants to do, you know, great things, wants wants to um, break out of the, the little box that most people live in and, and forge their own path in the world. And magic is the way to do it. And that's, it's, it's a really kind of cool premise, I think, that you can, you can, it'd be really hard to, I think, make a convincing warlock who had exactly the opposite. Not impossible, <laughs> but you'd have to play a lot with the expectations. You have to fuzz it up a bit, which I love filing off the serial numbers. And yeah, that's kind of been the, this is the turning point because up until this point, Vin Karin wasn't seeking power. But now she's going to. That, that answered the, the important question because it's like, what do I do if I'm warlock and suddenly I'm working against my patron? If I'm refusing to serve, is am I going to keep getting stuff? Right. <laughs> Next time I level, will I get anything for it? It's kind of presumed that the patron has the option to cut off the flow of power if they feel that the agent is no longer serving the pack. Yes and no. I mean, again, not like a god for a cleric where that the, it's, it's a literal you know, right. transit, transfer of power. They they are learning their magic. So, I mean, the, the presumption could be that they wouldn't teach them any more. But, but you can't necessarily take back what's already been given. Right. I mean, that's something that they know at that point is within them. It really kind of makes you wonder. But then you, the way you put it, to gain enough power to right. overcome means so I've you been, have to continue. I've been thinking, it's like, I'm going to have to find that balance of gaining more information and power without letting the deity know what I'm doing or why. Yeah. And that little word, deity... Which it isn't really. He is more of a fallen angel type. Yeah. I, I, I really, uh, I really want to see how that plays out in the long run. But what's cool about that is that that was the decision you made and it came to you immediately. Right. So then the question is, how do we use that? Right. I, I can't set all that up and then ignore the stuff in terms of growth. Uh, Alicia's character Squelch, for example, has a, a goal that has come to her that I, I don't know if he realizes it necessarily in those terms, but that is actually very hard to figure out a way to activate. I, I actually struggled because I knew that's what he would want. But I wasn't sure if it was doable. Right. So, you know, it becomes a question of, is it incumbent upon, uh, say you're the game master in this situation, is it incumbent right. upon you as the game master to provide opportunities that work that in? Now, I could do that to some degree, knowing that the secret that um, Squelch is, is striving to uncover is relevant to the campaign. But going into the boundary, I hadn't stopped and thought that any of these worlds would have anything to do with that stuff. Right. 
So, although to be fair, just so you guys know, I have zero plans about the rest of the realms that you guys are going to be going. To. <laughs> <laughs> I have, um, I, I think I showed you guys on the, on the discord, I shared it. So if you, if you're listening, um, and you want to see it, check out the discord, there's a, uh, a product I got on a Kickstarter called the story engine. That's, that's really, really cool. I love, I love idea starter products. I love things that put elements together and kind of give you story seeds out of them and things. And the story engine had these different card decks that you use to kind of build um, a story framework. And I used that as my place to start to kind of build these realms. And so I have this list that I'm working from. And what you guys walked into in that first realm has very little to do with the story seed I started with, which did have to do with an archer looking for a pendant. But... <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> as you can see, that didn't really necessarily matter... <laughs> Much, but um, and then I and then you guys are unfortunately afflicted by the fact that I'm reading. I was reading a series of books right now where the world is so oppressive and gray and has a red sun and is uh, it just. I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta use this this momentum somehow. So but it was fun though. I you guys did a really good job. And then we did a, a thing last week, this last uh, session where we I, I decided I needed to give them a battle on the way out. And there'd been so much like heavy role playing for a couple of sessions. Uh, in fact, the session before last, nothing but. And it was kind of a it was kind of a heavy night and ended kind of weird. And you know, it's like it's like it, how do I how do I recover from this and make it fun, right? So I was like, okay, so they're gonna get through this. They're trying to get out of this realm. They're trying to get to this mirror. We're gonna make sure and give them something they can do something with. Let me give them a battle. But I don't want to make it another, because I do battles infrequently enough a lot of times that everyone is absolutely consequential. You know, so that is the problem with being, with telling stories that involve a lot of combat, but keeping the combat sparse so that maybe you have a fight every session or two, then you end up having to make them all important fights. You know, because you don't want to waste a bunch of story time on random encounter C with something that doesn't fucking matter instead. You know, it, it, but, but in this case, it was a situation where the, the scenario, it mattered, but the fight didn't have to be deadly, but I wanted it to feel dangerous. So of course I took 16 mooks and threw them into this as, as guards into this chamber. And the, the party is looking for one mirror and the chamber's full of fucking mirrors. <laughs> so, there was no way they could just kind of walk in and do the thing, get past everybody, do the thing. And then I made the guards so that they were, even though they only had like 11 hit points apiece, they were tactically minded. So I, I, I went ahead and I haven't been doing a lot of, um, is that the first one you used to combat map this campaign? Uh, no, you had one when time. we were in a cave. Okay. You used dungeon mm-hmm. scrawl to make a cave. I do everything like theater of the mind typically, but um, he is, sometimes it's fun to to do that and throw that out there. And, and as I get more and more used to all the tabletop, the virtual tabletop pieces that I'm playing with, it's, it's actually become so quick and easy to do that that I'm inclined to start doing it more just because I can. Uh, we, we had a conversation last week where between sessions uh, I ended a game they had been going through a dungeon in the, in the other game not that one. I've been going through it. They, they've been going through a dungeon. I start the next session. I'm like you know what I had time between sessions because they had they had, they had withdrew to take a short rest and so I had time between sessions. You know what I'll go ahead and drop the map in roll 20 and do the lighting thing where I reveal the places they've been and they have in shadow the places they haven't so they can kind of get a, an idea of what they're seeing and as soon as I as soon as I moved the player flag over to that map, Rich was like, "Oh, <laughs> now I remember what we did last week because we went yeah. here, we went here. There's a guy in that hole over here. Is that stuff? The crypts over here. Oh, I didn't realize that hall turned, but otherwise, that's exactly how I saw it. Okay, yeah, and that was that was great. I again, I I I don't um, usually use maps for a lot of stuff, so it's it's kind of a 
it, it's not cross purposes by any stretch. It's just kind of not the first thing that occurs to me. And so I don't necessarily think real visually like that. But, you know, some people, obviously, you give them the right cues. It made me feel good because it made me feel like I described things really well the previous week. <laughs> well, and I think in maps, though, I mean, I, I think facially. Well, I mean, it's it's important to me to make sure when I run Combat's Theater of the Mind that I'm giving all the information that people need in order to effectively manage their character's abilities, needs, and uh, you know dynamics in that scenario. But the did say in the chat that you don't have to worry about them remembering where they are this week. <laughs> yeah, we're getting to that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. Um, mm, anyway. Uh, just just finishing up that story the 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 battle was really good i thought the battle was really good the, i mean it was it it took about an hour and some change probably to handle the 16 guards that were there because they were acting all smart and shit but uh, they they quickly got their asses kicked for the most part and damn fun. guards kept hiding behind pillars it's hard to hit a bunch when they're hiding from you well, yeah, yeah you yeah, cast yeah. invisibility and sneak in with them that was good and then no, yeah, you guys were you guys were excellent, you know, and, and once we were in that situation, everybody was just kind of on point, you know, just like there'd been a lot of like kind of, uh, you know, like frustration over the scenario or, you know, couldn't tell if people were feeling it or not. And so it's like I throw a combat map out there and suddenly everybody's like, I know what the fuck I'm doing. Just like that. So, uh, yeah. Uh, the other game. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, my. So <laughs> I, I've been uh, running D&D games since like. 1942 <laughs> regularly since about 1987 and uh i mean because i'd been i'd been playing for a few years before that but i wasn't really you know i was i was young i didn't run a lot of games i, I ran occasionally to try my hand at it and then i started doing it regularly for my friends and then for the, the older people that i connect with that my my dad's you know friends and stuff like that that we'd, we'd sit around and game and uh over time i i I know in those early days that the Dungeons and Dragons experience was a very kind of gamey experience. You know, it was about the maps and the monsters and the treasure and the, you know, my, my dad was uh, one of my players for years and he had a very kind of military approach to the way he, he played a game. And he had, he was one of those people that set up, you know, this is when we open a door, this is standard operating procedure. You know, this guy's here, this guy's here, that guy's got his bow there, you know. It, 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 it was a matter of pride, you know, to, to uh, take on the monsters and do things you know, well. I, everything else was just, you know, the fun of it, right? Over time, and I, I wrote about this in a, a blog recently in some detail, so I, I don't necessarily feel like I got to go into it a bunch. You can find it on the Discord. But over time, the, the game really changed for us. And uh, I know I've discussed that some in the show in the past as well. A lot of the things that I look back on now and see what changed I, I could, there's a few things that I'm really glad I uh, traps that I feel I never fell into. You know, one of those was even from the very beginning, I was never an adversarial GM. And that was actually a little tough back when I was young. And it was actually more circumstance, I think, than anything else, you know, because I might have had the attitude because my first game master, not the guy who actually taught me to play, because that was some neighborhood kid who I got to sh- I got to run the game for me a second time because I harassed him enough. But once I got a chance to play regularly with somebody, the guy that ran the game, which was a uh, an old army buddy of somebody that we knew um, who had gamed for you know a few years prior, because that was in the seventies, he was very um, he, he was he wasn't a player kill, killer, but he wanted you to feel like he was. He had a very adversarial kind of me versus you attitude, you know, and uh, I so, so that's where I learned at the feet of, and I could have been that guy. But I think it helped that I was young because I wanted people to take me seriously and I was more interested in the stories than the um, the relationship between me and my players. 
So I focused a lot on on telling the stories and getting people engaged that way. I never became adversarial. And so it's always kind of weirded me out over the years when I met GMs who were. And of course, that isn't a thing nowadays as much. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but you know, nowadays, you know, the priorities have changed and the game is, is so huge and there's so many, such a, such a broad player base that it is really hard to find groups that um, just kind of game in a way that they have no choice but to game with somebody who's running it on their terms and blah, blah, blah. I mean, you, you have options. So those types of GMs don't necessarily keep their groups anymore, I think, is a lot of it. Uh, but I would say, consequentially, over the course of my career, I've had maybe one that I remember, one TPK, one total party kill. Now, there's some GMs out there who are going to go, seriously? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> players are fucking stupid. That happens all the time. <laughs> You're and, too soft. And, yeah. and I've, I've gone through, I went hey, through years of being too soft. Hey, don't say that. the game for, for all of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this may not be the best. Um, but there was definitely a number of years where I got too soft because I hated killing characters. And uh, that was transition from the game as a, you know, a mechanical exercise where, you know, rolling the dice the best and being the cleverest was what got you through the challenge to becoming a story about people that you shared experiences with who had emotions, who had lives, who had goals and dreams, etc., and relationships often between each other, between themselves, NBCs, themselves in the world. You know, all that meant, as, as it developed, all that meant that when people and characters died, it became a real sincere experience. And the more we played that way, the worse it got. I mean, it really got to the point over the years where somebody would die if they'd been playing a character for a couple of years and... I mean, I mean, it, it was a mournful experience. You know, it wasn't a suicidal experience, but it was definitely sad. And everybody is affected by it. Well, I, I have something like that happen on my table and the entire table goes glum. It's like you shot the mood of the entire game. You know, when character death was fun, like, say, when Vanessa's characters die. <laughs> There's those times when that happens to characters and everybody's lighthearted about it. Not a big deal. It just happens. You know, oh, yeah. God damn it. The dice went against me. You know, I just, I got back to the corner. The, they couldn't get here to help me. It was just bad luck or, or you know, didn't, didn't make the, you know, bad decision making, whatever. It happens. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's just fine. And I still have a hint of that every time it happens to somebody. And I've been really tested by that this last year as Vanessa joined my game and has characters that die every three levels. Uh, like clockwork. <laughs> just, just become just a running joke. Fucking bad luck. But... I feel this on a personal level, Alicia. (laughs) I know not of which you speak. But that was the thing is I was soft for a while and then I had to get hard and then I had to kind of figure out where I wanted to fall in there, you know, and and be the not not be a game master who didn't let player characters fail even unto the point of death, especially lower level characters where death is a more permanent thing, you know, but you deal. Okay, so um, I'm running a game last week. (laughs) And they, I had set up the map so they could see what they had missed between sessions. Uh, and, and they came into it like, oh, okay, so that's the only two tunnels we hadn't been around. And it turns out these two tunnels led to the same place. So they go to the one room left in the button dungeon, which is the boss fight, right? It's, but, but they took a short rest. They gave the boss time to prepare a little. Because, you know, he knew that the shit that his, his undead throughout the dungeon had been getting kind of, you know, uh, waylaid. Anyway, they, they get there. They aren't very good at sneaking. I have that problem with the groups right now. There's no, none of my groups are good at sneaking. You say that, but all of us got excellent sneak rolls except for one person. That's all it takes. And that was the giant. (laughs) Well, the Goliath. And and he was leading the way. In plate mail. (laughs) And he was leading the way. Yeah. Why was he bothering to sneak? 
he really wasn't. Yeah. That was a two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm over here. <laughs> He's like, uh, them looking back. quiet guys, we're trying to be that quiet here. Exactly I think that's exactly what he said. When he rolled that die, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, oh, there's people up ahead. Be quiet. <laughs> so they come into the enemy. Uh, now, I already knew this was a tough fight. They're what level, what level are you guys? Third level? Yeah. Yes. That's, um, that's you know, third level D&D characters. <laughs> We we she started just, the adventure. She didn't going, really oh, have to bring. Oh no no! It's no third lever. Yet. I We're guess I guess Vanessa and Jason are going to die. So uh, pure <laughs> prophecy. Well, with Jason it was only supposed to be go to zero hit points, right? I mean, it oh, was, yeah, he yeah, wasn't yeah, supposed yeah. to die. Just mostly dead. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, I'll go for a walk. I, I I wanted to make the fight challenging. Deadly wasn't exactly. Congratulations! What I was for. You succeeded. <laughs> Deadly wasn't exactly what I was going for. So we have five PCs, right? And I mean, there's a the Jason's is a monk, you know. Um, we got two rogues, a ranger, no, a druid rather, and a bard. And a bard. My bard did AOE. Did a really good. You can AOE. already see kind of what's missing there. You know, there's nobody tanking in this party. You know, there's 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 two rogues. So I mean, there's a lot. There's of also nobody healing. really healing in this. party. But yeah, and and the druid's the only healer. Um, does the, did the bard have a healing spell too? Yeah, uh, yes, I mean, he used it. He used it. But I yeah. didn't have any slots left when we went into this adventure because we didn't take a long rest. Right, 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 right. Yeah, that's right. So, but you didn't necessarily know you were just heading right into the boss fight. You just knew you had more of the dungeon nope. to explore, and you'd be gotten beaten the fuck up. So, um, so so you went ahead and uh and and headed in, and he had already four like ghouls there in the in the room. And uh, ready to send them to attack. But because he had time to prepare, the first thing he did was use an action um, that he had a, a kind of a lair action to go ahead and animate three more skeletons. Oh, yeah. We were in a room in a crypt where the walls were literally stacked with skeletons all the way around. Yeah. So all he had to do was, you know, just grab them and, uh, and, and form them. And it meant they could pop up anywhere. Right. Meaning, which he used to devastating advantage. Meaning it was very easy to raise a family. <laughs> yuck, yuck. He was going to uh, be able to do that kind of stuff and other stuff that he tried to do every round. But um, I realized pretty quickly in the fight that that was going to be too much. So I made some decisions. Now, there's a couple things about this fight that you have to know. One, all the undead in this complex had glowy green eyes. And the same green light was coming from the artifact that he was holding, which uh, the, the magic item that that he, this priest had gotten a hold of, this necromancer. He was, he was actually a priest of the temple and had been corrupted by it. So he has this relic that has the glowy green light. The connection is pretty obvious. It wasn't that they didn't see it. It was that it, it didn't turn out to be as actionable as they needed it to be. So he sends them into the fight. They get started getting divided up and um, being attacked in, in parts and stuff. And then, of course, you have ghouls, which have that paralyzing ability. So things start going badly very quickly. And then people would recover or somebody would go down and so, and they get healed. And, you know, so it's like up, down, up, down, and just like every, and, and, you know, paralyzed, free, paralyzed, free. It was just kind of this, this on off switch on everybody. They just kind of get, kept getting toggled. And it took about two or three rounds for a, a kid's character vanity to kind of make her way through the mess because she really wasn't the combatant combatant type. She's an investigator. Yeah, yeah her, she's she's kind of the Sherlock she's a, Holmes. She's about. a rogue, and she's very not roguelike. And, uh, and she she made a way, kind of wormed her way through because with the rogue you have that you know at least you have that disengage bonus action. You know, weave her way through the battle, head over to where she could do something to actually affect the uh, magic item. But this was like three rounds in, 
And the thing still had like 28 hit points or something like that. So she had to be able to do damage to it enough to take it out. Well, I did. I kept a lot in, you know, close to my chest about what was going on and, and how much could be done until I saw how things were going to develop. And I'm glad I did because I decided to make the, the skull into something more different than it was, but made it so that he had to concentrate on it for a few rounds to get to do something cool. So that meant as the battle got to its worst point where a couple people were down and making death saves. Mm-hmm. Um, and who was that? Who went down first? Or failing death saves. It was Jason and Vanessa, the I two that were thumb. prophesied to die because we were third level. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, so they were down and, and uh, working on death saves. And this guy starts focusing on his on his skull relic or something like that. So I, and I made it clear that every round it was getting brighter and he was chanting. And nobody was in a position to do anything about it or, or decided well, to you know reach out too far enough to do anything about Vanity it. Vanity was. And she had set up her plan and was putting into action. And literally, the round that she was ready to put this plan into action... She failed her save against a ghoul. And got paralyzed. And she was paralyzed for the rest of the battle because I kept making poor saves. Oh, my God. Yeah. Two, three, six, two. Just unbelievable. And she's in the middle of the room. And yeah, and, and that was, and they were all stretched out again. They were all spread all over the place. Uh, third person goes down. First person fails their third death save. Fourth person goes down. Fourth person's back up. <laughs> Second person fails their death save. They had their final death save. Oh my God. It got down to the point where three people were down. Um, one of whom, two of them were dead, dead. And one of them still working on it. Richard was still working on, on death saves. And, um, uh, Julie's character and and uh, Kid's character were had come in together. They were kind of they were pretty connected. We were a couple, and they were um, they were kind of at the back. Both of them were back, kind of towards the back of the cave at that point, because Vanity had made her way back that direction. And uh, Julie's character, Aliana, was sitting there doing her druidy best to try and keep people alive while staving staving off the attentions of the the undead. She had literally cast her last healing spell, her last slot, to get Vanity back up after after she went down. And Vanity had been throwing some alchemist fire around to try and control the battlefield a little bit. And so here was this point where she thought, okay, at least I can do, if I can't save anybody else, at least I can save Aliana. Throw the, what was, you, you're trying to throw the alchemist fire so it was between her and the ghoul that was moving to attack her. Well, ideally, I wanted to hit the ghoul. So oh, on right, fire. Right. And he rolled very poorly. And uh, with that very poor roll, I rolled a random direction and scatter. decided a distance. Grenade and scatter. He literally, by luck of the die, because I explained what I was doing to Jason <laughs> before he rolled it, a kid before he rolled it. By luck of the die, it landed in directly between Vanity and Aliana. And so the alchemist fire explodes across the entrance of the cave, because she was actually just outside the entrance of the cave at that point in the in the tunnel. And Vanity had one hit point left as Aliana went down. And she fled. Now, every time somebody failed that last death save, I felt myself shriveling up inside. You know, it, we all was, felt it. It was, it was. The battle had gone from, you know, fun and challenging and determined to holy shit to God, what's the fucking point? You know, really fast. And I knew, we all knew we were on path to a TPK. And I have had, like I said, one TPK my entire gaming career. And by the way, that one TPK was in a fifth edition playtest game when none of us knew the goddamn rules. <laughs> so it didn't really surprise anyone that everybody got killed because they didn't know what their characters could do or what the monsters could do or how the rules were going to interact between the two. So when everybody died, everybody had had a great time. In fact, we finished that one by setting up another group of adventures and going to try to rescue the people that died. 
because it didn't matter. We were just experimenting with the rules. Um, not, not to say that wouldn't have been a great setup for a campaign, but you know what I'm saying. So this was so close. And I think there's no question that if, because, because, you know, these were, like I said, these were published adventures. Um, they were in the third one. I'd thrown some additional adventure material in there between some of them, uh, to, to build a plot, a meta plot behind it. And a lot of that was attached to vanity. Actually, her, her uh, the, the background that mm-hmm. kid gave me for his character gave me really good plot points to build off of. So that was kind of where I was coming from. And if everybody had died, I think that would have been it. There was really no point for that campaign. It would have, you know, it, it, there's sometimes you can look at a campaign and go, there's an obvious way you can recover this with all new characters or whatever. Up, yeah. The story didn't really matter enough at that point. Not at that point. But Vanity's personal story mattered enough that when she was the sole survivor and she ran all the way back up to the temple above the crypts and rushed into the sanctuary and cried out, they're all dead or, or dying. dying or worse and collapsed. We all sat there for about two minutes without really saying much of anything. While it turns out Julie was in the background working on her next character. Yeah, I was going to say we were all in D&D <laughs> Beyond. <laughs> and I had no idea at that point because, you know, it's, it's one thing. Here, here's the thing about distance gaming I've noticed. I can't read the room the same way. When you are sitting at a table with your friends in the same room and gaming, there is an atmosphere that you can tap into. You know, there you, you, natural empathy comes into play. You can feel how everybody feels and and it travels through the space. You know, everybody communicates in nonverbal ways, so many little things, but when we're doing this distance, I can't tell what people are thinking and I'm afraid to fucking ask because I'm the asshole that just killed everybody. (laughs) So the last thing I really want to do is start a conversation about it. But uh, at this point, I don't don't know what we're doing next week. Don't ask the question. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But they're all, already planning the next characters and somebody actually says it. I think maybe it was Jason first. Uh, and he, obviously he's in here, but somebody actually says it. What if we all wrote up characters that Vanity hires to finish the, her goals, her story, to pursue her story. And that took me instantly back to the, the setup that, that Kid and I had come up with for Vanity in the beginning. Because when he first wrote the character, he came to me with this concept that was somewhere between Enola Holmes and Van Helsing. And we couldn't figure out how to bridge that divide except by way of gaining levels, right? So you start with Enola Holmes and hopefully get to Van Helsing. So let's go ahead and do the Teutonic shift that's appropriate now because the the survivor is vanity and her character's story has a great deal of potential if we stop and this becomes the backstory of that character. Yeah, everything up till now is suddenly an origin story. <laughs> So what we decided to do is they were third level at the time. I advanced her to fifth level and told everybody to write up fifth level characters. And a year has passed. Put a, a year later into the uh, plot thread. <laughs> and we're going to run a Monster Hunter campaign. It's very different from the uh, the, the kind of Edgar Allan feeling game I've been running. Instead, is going to be a lot more Bram Stoker. Right. I'm really stoked. Pun intended. And so is everyone else. So excited for season two. I love my new character. I think we had a lot of good feedback of that. I, you know, in some ways I feel like it's the most challenging for me because I have to figure out who after this experience vanity becomes, you know, she's obviously a very different person in the wake of this disaster. She loses all her friends, including her lover. And she, when she left Alyssa in that dungeon, Alyssa was still alive or Alyssa, Aliana. Yeah. Aliana was still alive and Vanity knew it, but there was nothing she could do without dying herself. She was down to one hit point. So she she has this consuming guilt over what happened there, as well as this determined 
you know, people like my mother are responsible for this. I have to put an end to it, whatever it takes, whatever the cost. I've already paid so much. It's it's really tough for me to re reconstruct her persona with all of this in mind, considering that I'm still building off of that that base of, uh, you know, her investigator skills. How, how does how does this uh, mystery solver become a, a monster destroy, you know, commander of this force of monster destroyers? So it's it's I don't know. I'm really looking forward to where the story goes from this point, but it's tough. And I mean, obviously, we'll all get to see your interpretation of who Vanity is now, because like you said, she can't be the same person a year later. Mm-hmm. All that all that trauma, you know, the way it builds up, the way it uh, affects a person psychologically, personally, their ability to relate to others, the ability to connect with people, the ability to trust themselves or others. I actually went into her characteristics and changed her flaw and uh, her, I, th- I think, her ideal to reflect the transformation that came out of it. And I, I'm I'm excited. And at the same time, uh, there's this, just this kind of anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> because she'll be an anxious character to play. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, because it can't be, I mean, literal performance anxiety. Everybody else knows what you went through to get here. So. <laughs> I have never had an experience like that where a game fell apart and got completely transformed. Reforged. I, I'm sure that other people have. I am absolutely positive that other people have and, you know, whatever kind of form that's taken. And I'd, I'd love to hear about it. You know, feedback at prismaticsunami.com. I was going to say, I've never, I've had one TPK that I ran, but it was planned. This was Alicia's first long form, completely homebrew We've campaign. talked about it on the podcast before. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so they, I, I went into the fight knowing that all the players were actually playing as monsters and they were all going to get killed by right. their right. original player characters. And then we were going to switch back to Alicia running the normal game. Yeah, it was just a, a kind of an interlude. Yeah. At that point. Yeah, and that's that's awesome. I, I don't uh I, I don't think there's anything wrong with um accepting that kind of story beat and and just dropping the campaign if that's where you're at. But in the in the case where I, I got to see something hopefully very cool come out of it because you know we, we obviously haven't played it yet. That's tomorrow's our first session with the renewed um, re- rejuvenated party here. And and most of our players, after you know a <laughs> half an hour or so to kind of redirect, are getting on the message board and talking about how you know I liked my character that died, but I am so much more invested in my new character idea. Yeah, I saw a little bit of that. Well, part of that comes from the fact that when we wrote our original characters, we wrote characters to interact with each other, but we still wrote them not knowing a lot about the world other than the fact it was suspense horror. It was in a vacuum. And these characters were written knowing that we're going to be fighting weird beasties and... And that type of thing, and this is our goal, and we're, we're built to a better party. Having a sense of the, a little more sense of setting, a little more sense of tone, uh, a little more sense of how you'll be able to relate to each other because uh, you just did. And yeah. some idea of the enemy and the goal. You know, we now know that we're out to take down this cult. We know what happened. That uh, Vanity's mother's one. invested in. Right. right. Yeah, too bad we had that actor strike or something, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe everybody just, you know, um, uh, resented being killed off in the season finale. I don't know. Oh, and what a season finale that turned out to be. But I didn't get a summer to plan season two. <laughs> <laughs> I think the problem was one of the producers saw that the uh, beginning of the next season start with someone waking up with a dream and they're like, no, they stay dead. <laughs> <laughs> 
the we are not were doing for that. too much money, so they just we... killed them off. <laughs> right. I'd rather have the same well, actors come back and play new characters. Which is what's happening. It's a little more American horror story than that. You know, it's gonna like yeah, same same actors, different characters. And at this time we me. do have a tank and uh, <laughs> a better healer. And well, uh, <laughs> and here's another thing too, that that final climactic battle that wiped us. Our tactics were crap. We went into that like it was every other encounter that we'd walked, blundered our way through, which is literally what we'd been doing up until then. And we didn't even start to solidify our tactics as a group until we were halfway through the party, part, the battle, half the people were down, and there was a wall of of skeletons and ghouls between us and the bad guy. Yeah. You know, and I was out uh, of coming slots. out of that. Right, you we you walked into it out of slots. The druid still had oh, almost had all of her spell slots. Left She'd been I using used, mostly cantrips. I used a level one thunder wave that knocked the skull off its pedestal and knocked yeah. back some of the zombies. That was good. Yeah, Not it enough. looked like it looked like it was setting us up for this awesome battle that we were going to oh, raffle yeah. stomp everyone, and instead, <laughs> yeah. It did look good going in. I had to admit, you know, even even as chaotic as it was in that first round or so, it's like, oh, 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 I like that. You know, this looks good. This is promising. Yeah, it, it was. Five rounds later, <laughs> it was promising until everybody started failing. And we rolled a one. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. the, and the dice, the tactics, and the dice were the two things that killed us. There, it wasn't really the bad guy or his plans or his monsters. It was our rolls and it was our tactics. But it made a really good. I think a good butterfly is coming out of this. Yeah. Caterpillar. Well, and, <laughs> and unfortunately, no amount of tactics can make up for bad die rolls. There, there's nothing we as players or even you as the, the game master can do right. when the dice are just, you know, you're going to have a bad day. But it's how you react to that and how you roll with it, really, that turns that from being a drag into an exciting game. And I did. Um, I I did not. I, I don't traditionally uh, like fudge rolls and stuff like that. I did make decisions to try and alleviate a little bit of the pressure at times. Mm-hmm. But I tried to do it intentionally or intelligently. Well, know? and as I mean, as you will, because that the, the goal of the game master isn't, like you said, an ad- adversarial game. It's to kill the players. But this isn't what we play. It's to tell the story and so you make decisions even if they aren't necessarily the ones that you know in a perfect planned encounter the bad guy would make because they forward the story yeah and and i didn't want everybody to die obviously well we didn't either so um glad that turned out the way it did (laughs) murderous dm so it, now it I, moving forward, no, moving forward, I, I I'm having to develop um, this this new style of a game, which I had, I had started this with you know published adventure material, so that I didn't have to spend a lot of time <laughs> focusing on. It. <laughs> but I'm really really excited about it, so I, I don't have anybody to blame but myself. Did I do that? <laughs> but if anybody listening has, we ideas, did it together. <laughs> Yeah. Any, anything you'd like to share, feel free to send it my way because um, I'll be happy to include it in the game. And then if it kills somebody, tell them whose idea it was. Oh. That's the way I roll. This is the person <laughs> you get to blame. And we will talk about you on the show. That I promise. That we will. <laughs> I'll send you my notes if you promise to only use them on them. Oh, there you go. <laughs> we love you too. Well, that that was the big thing I wanted to talk about. You guys want to play a game? All right, let's do it. Always. How about a nice game, game of thermonuclear war? <laughs> Wait, are we playing uh, no, thermonuclear war? we are not war? playing thermonuclear war. The f- global thermonuclear war. <laughs> Two, Is this a weird question it. game that I clearly didn't understand in the chat <laughs> the one day? <laughs> 
we've been playing around with the uh, improv games in uh, chat. Uh, some people get it. <laughs> some people don't. <laughs> you just said ask questions. Well, this is where you are. It was so funny. I thought it was improv where you just say yes. I had seen a meme and I posted yes, that and it said, you're in a dungeon. The people in your party are the people from the last television show you watched. And I'm like, I'm <laughs> glad my show is the Go Big Show because I'm now in a dungeon with Burt Kirshner, Snoop Dogg, and I'm having a great time. <laughs> but um, I, I was just uh, watching old episodes of Mythbusters. They'll just blow everything up. I'm good. <laughs> right, right. I was watching the Muppet but Show. But I said, <laughs> I said it was either... It was either the Go Big Show, or if it had been the show before that, I would have ended up being Whose Line Is It? And I'm like, oh, God, we're going to improv our way through the dungeon. <laughs> okay, the setting is you're in a dentist office. Questions only. Go. Yep. I oh got my God. How I Met Your Mother. Yep. <laughs> we're all going to die. So we're going to do party favors. So uh, this is one where some somebody, and we're going to pick Joe. Okay. Um, somebody's job is going to be to host the uh, the party at the tavern for a big meeting that they're going to be uh, planning to have to, to get ready for their brand new adventure. And you haven't met the other adventurers yet. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to randomly generate. Um, if you aren't familiar with this, <laughs> this site, you soon will be. We're going to randomly generate the character constructs from um, who the fuck is my D&D character got. I love that website. <laughs> And I'm going to send one to each of the other participants. Okay. Okay. So um, your job when you get this uh, this this description is going to be to try and uh, convey as much as you uh, in some convincing or, or you know legible way the um, details, whatever you can, of the the uh, personality you've been sent through role playing, and, uh, and and it can be over the top, obviously should be over the top. And you'll get a couple of rounds to do this, a couple times round the table to do this. And then Joe has to see if he can figure out who you were. But you can't come right out and say the stuff, obviously. But uh, does that make sense to everybody? Yeah. Okay. And uh, <laughs> I just generated the first one. All right. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> Yeah, I feel well, like you I'm don't, you don't have to role play it, dude. <laughs> but I have to okay. figure it all out. All right, I'm going to start by sending one. <laughs> and I'm doing this randomly. I'm not going to curate this uh, because I, it would be too tempting. <laughs> so sending one to Rich and <laughs> <laughs> Rich's reaction. That makes That's me even important. more scared. I'm concerned <laughs> now. That was sending random. <laughs> Yep. Sending <laughs> one to Alicia. Okay. Oh my gosh. I like the little link underneath it. It's always like it gives you a description. And they're all like, if you've never seen it, it's like, uh, it always says, like, check this shit out. I'm going to be a fucking. And then it says what it is, right? And it's like an adjective race class from this place who does this thing. <laughs> then if, there's, if you don't like it, there's a little link at the bottom that always says something like, I've already fucking role played that one. Hit it again. Oh, my God. I cannot believe the one I got for kid. <laughs> I'm laughing too much. I'm sorry. Stop now. All right. All right. So um, that's uh, that's it. You guys you guys had a chance to look at those a little bit? We'll, we'll do it in the order that I, I sent them to you. So uh, we'll be starting with Rich. So, um, Joe, you'll be the you'll be the one there at the you've gotten everybody else out of the tavern. It's it's um, a little kind of gloomy outside. It's 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 getting dark out. So there's no chance of really anybody probably spying or knowing what's going on. 
and you guys, uh, you have some sort of secret mission plan that you need to let them know about. You also need to find out, try to get a feel for who it is you're dealing with. Okay. And then the first person walks through the door. Look, look around. All right. I got, I got the ale, got the gin, got the LaCroix. Some people are weird. All right. I'm ready to go. <laughs> white claw. <laughs> got the white claw. Yeah, there we go. Ah, welcome, welcome. Come on in. I, I'm, uh, 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 I, I heard from, um, Julio that there was a, uh, 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 a get together here. Get, get, oh, to, get. yeah, I'm trying to find some people to help me. I got a, uh, a beholder that seems to be terrorizing the town. So we're looking for, looking for a little help. So come on in. We'll, we'll discuss when you're in here. Oh, okay. All right. I, I, I'm pretty, pretty good. You're tall. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good at fighting. <laughs> Well, yeah, it looks like it. You you seem uh it was, oh, pardon my tail. Sorry about my there. tail. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh. I, <laughs> sorry, I just wanted to grab it. It looks nice and fluffy. Oh, <laughs> you can grab my tail anytime. <laughs> hey, puppy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Let me go. Let me go get the door. Whoop. Hello. Hi. Uh, come on in. You here for the meeting? Yes. Come on in. You uh. Excellent. Watch out. The other one doesn't like it if you uh mess with its tail. Oh, uh, that's understandable, I suppose. Do you have any wine, by chance, while I situate myself? Um, yeah, hold on, and I'm gonna go grab a white claw and dump it into a glass. It's wine. <laughs> Thank you. That's interesting wine. It's, it's... sparkling wine. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's champagne. Hmm. Yeah. I'm more accustomed to reds, but this is, this is nice. It's good to switch it up from time to time. Uh, are there any activities leading up to the meeting, or should I just... Wander around. Oh, well, I think we're about to start a pin to tell on the orc over there. Oh. Hey! <laughs> oh, well, sorry. Hold on. Let me, let me get the door. I got someone else showing up. Oh, you don't look like an orc. Ah, finally. I haven't had so hard a time finding a place since the last time I looked for my mother's liquor cabinet. <laughs> had to fight my way through half a hundred of footpads and highwaymen just getting here. <laughs> Uh, it's the only place I can get on such short notice and on, uh, we'll say, short funds. I uh, might want to consider putting up more torches on the outside. Not everyone can see in the dark as well as myself. So, I understand you're hiring adventurers. Yep, looking for some, uh, looking for some muscle, and you seem to, you seem to fit that bill. <laughs> At least you got eyes on you. Where's the ale? Right over here, and I'll take you and walk over. Here's, here you go. You know what? Hold on. And I just tried to grab a small keg and here you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost big enough. You're not bad, I suppose. Take here my keg and sit down. <laughs> I said, so who are don't you? touch my horns. You're going to make me angry. I'm going to. I'm so sorry. They just, they looked so nice. I wondered what they felt like. What are these to do in here? <laughs> I thought you were looking for adventurers. I mean, I, I know adventurers like to chase tail, but this is taking to it a whole new lover. <laughs> adventures take all sorts. You seem colorful. If by colorful you mean gray, I suppose I fit the bill. Gray is a color. According to Sumberups. Referring to your personality, but that will do as well. Can I stay in your room tonight? <laughs> oh. Um. Just, I don't know. These people are picking on me, and I just, I want to be protected a little. Huh. Sure. Looks like all you need for that one is a mouse hole. Joe, you got anybody yet? Um, I think so. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What do you got? Richard, I think, is a tabaxi barbarian. 
I have Kid as a uh, Duragar. I'm not sure. And then Alicia is a very hoity-toity elf. Uh, How okay. far off was I on everyone? There's a there's another thing. Remember in 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 who the fuck is my D and D character? There's always like another element to them too. Who like does a thing or something? Ah. Any guesses? Um. Well, Richard is loose and fast. <laughs> Yes, but what about his character? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, also, I have horns. We know Richard, but what oh, about sorry, your character? Sorry, I wrote to back. I meant to uh, say a tiefling. That's ah, what. Ding. Oh, sorry, excellent, sorry. dude. Uh, a guarded tiefling barbarian from the city slums who has serious daddy issues. Whoa. Ah, okay, Poppy. <laughs> <laughs> and I took them a really dark way. Hmm. And then Kid was just a drunk Scottish Duragar. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do, I do like the part that you didn't get there with with Kid. The the who does a thing that I, was pretty good. <laughs> you did great. <laughs> Why thank you? Uh, you want to go ahead and tell? Him? Yeah, because I don't. Know. I am a grouchy dwarven rogue who exaggerates everything he talks about. Ah, okay, yeah. <laughs> you have a whole, a whole cask of ale. He's like, that's almost big enough. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Um, Alicia's was kind of tough. It was. I I feel like I focused too much on the first part and not as much on the second half, but... That's fine. I am a broad-minded half-elf cleric from an internment camp who hates music. <laughs> Which oh you didn't yeah, work you could yell about in there turning off the yeah. music. Yeah, yeah. I was really close from the right thinking about you. Good, you think you did well. Except for the music. Nice thing. job, guys. Give everybody, give yourselves a hand. That was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping this character, by the way. <laughs> Good call. I'll put the link to that site to anybody that doesn't remember what it was. Kind of keeping out. this character, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> Hello, waka oh, no. waka. Oh no. All right. Well, uh, I want to remind everybody, if you'd like to be part of our conversation at any point, you can certainly join us. Uh, we have a Discord server up for Prismatic Tsunami. It's a good way to keep ch- tabs on uh, Metagamers Anonymous and our other programs and products and ventures, including, of course, our uh, movie podcast. We have uh, Exposition Street, which we'll be recording live uh, tomorrow, if you happen to be watching us live. But obviously, probably not a lot of people are because we didn't promote this very well but then you know that's, that's, on, that's on me <laughs> but usually we do expo on saturdays and this week we had moved to sunday so sunday two o'clock central we'll be doing exposition street we try to do it every saturday so uh, be sure you kind of check on that every week uh, it's a chance to hang out with us while we talk about a movie and this week we're talking about uh, stardust stardust so, yeah stardust i got to watch stardust finally excellent excellent i'm Looking forward to talking about it gonna hold off talking about it until <laughs> yep, tomorrow yep. everybody gotta stop everybody gotta wait um and, and of course so, you know if you have any comments about anything on the show anything you'd like to share with us any uh stories you'd like us to uh read you know discuss on the any questions drop us a line or visit our discord you can you can uh, reach me directly at feedback at prismatic i do read emails on the air when we get them as long as they're more than like hey hi how you doing and you know we love you I, I like getting that stuff, but I, I don't feel like it's necessary content. I mean, it's quality. I'm not saying it's not quality. So that's the way to do it. Uh, otherwise, thank you very much for listening. We'll go ahead and get on here for out of here for tonight. Thank you so much, guys, for being part of the show. Appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, thanks kid, for being here. I know that it's hard for you to get away sometimes, so appreciate it. Everybody, uh, thank you for joining us for episode number 247 of Metagamers Anonymous. My name is Eric. I'm Rich. I'm Joe. And I'm Vanessa. I mean, Alicia. <laughs> and I am the kid. Yeah!